Hello and welcome to the Flying Reporter podcast. I'm John Hunt, a private pilot and YouTuber, and these podcasts will bring you interesting people, views and information focusing on general aviation in the UK. Today we talk to the private pilot who had a stroke mid-air, went blind and was talked down for a safe landing. And in our Ask the Instructor feature, we're going to give you some useful information that might help you should you have a rough-running engine. The Flying Reporter podcast is brought to you in association with AeroPS, the payment app for pilots, aerodromes and operators that makes it easy to pay landing fees, book PPR, settle parking and handling charges and even pay for fuel. Download AeroPS now from the Android or Apple app stores. So I'm always fascinated when I hear from pilots who've had mishaps or incidents that test their skill and judgment. As a pilot myself, who thankfully, touching wood here by the way, hasn't had any serious incidents on my flights, I often wonder how I would cope should the worst happen. Would I manage to stay calm? Would I make the right decisions? Could I execute a successful forced landing if I had to? Well, we're going to hear today from a pilot who, while flying solo across Britain in 2008, in the cruise at just over 5,000 feet, had a stroke. Jim O'Neill from Essex in southern England didn't know he'd suffered a life-threatening medical episode. He thought he'd just been blinded by the sun. In fact, he really had lost almost all of his sight. I met up with Jim at his home to hear how, even though he couldn't see his instruments or the world outside the cockpit, was able to land his Cessna safely. So prior to this happening, Jim, how long had you been flying? What sort of flying had you been doing? About 18 years I had been flying, you know. Yeah. So I was pretty well versed in that, the, the, the skill of flying. What did you fly? A, a Cessna 182. Oh, nice. Which is, which is yeah, very nice. Very, so I, can, I call it a go-anywhere plane, you know. I mean, just put, put whatever you want in it and it'll go. Yeah. yeah. And what did flying mean to you? Oh, it was a lot. I mean, I just loved it because I felt that once you were up there, the way I felt about flying was you're having to concentrate so much on flying, everything else goes out your mind. So it clears your mind. And that's what I loved about flying. And you were fit and healthy as far as I you was. were concerned. Yeah, I mm. was. I'd had a medical. In fact, the doctor said that at the time and I seen him after. But I'd had a medical about, I can't remember. In fact, I had two, I had a, a flying medical and I had a, a well-man checkup about three months before. So let's come to that day. Um, what were you doing? Were you were flying back from Scotland, were you? I had flown up to Scotland and I was, um, and I'd had my brother-in-law, he likes to fly. So he, we'd been up for a fly and we'd flew around Ben Nevis and the, the Outer Isles. And he enjoyed that. He enjoyed coming with me. And we landed and I took off again. And I got to Yorkshire, as you know, and I, I felt, I remember, I remember thinking, do you know that sensation you get when you've been, you're at, you've looked at the sun and it leaves a kind of glare yeah, in yeah, your yeah. eyes? Well, it had been very bright that day. Mm. And I remember pulling the sunshade across and I still had this retina thing, you know, it was still kind of, I could still feel the, the sun in my eyes. And that's all I thought it was. And I thought, I'll just wait for it to clear. Mm. So I set a course and I sort of hung on to the course and, and waiting for my, 
and it didn't clear. I was talking to um, traffic controllers at Presswick and Scottish traffic control, and he said to me a strange thing. He says, he said, Carlisle is only so many miles to the west or something like that, you know. He said, if you're interested, and they're open, the runway's open. And I thought, why is he telling me that? You know, it was a strange thing to tell anybody, you mm -hmm. know. And I said, okay, thank you very much. I said, but, oh, no, he says, if you're planning to go go there. I said, no, I said, I'm not planning to go to Carlisle. I said, okay. I should have been flying southwest, southeast. And he said, you know, you're flying northwest. And I said, no, I didn't. And I remember he came on and he, he said to me, are you having any difficulties? I said, no. Just then, I felt this thing. I said, I'm having difficulties. He said, what's your difficulties? I said, I can't see the instruments. Right, he said, what would you like to do now? Well, I thought about it for about a nanosecond, said, I'd like to get down now. Mm, mm. <laughs> he said, OK. He said, well, we've got a, a chap here, an RAF instructor here, and he's just landed. Would you like him to come up? I said, fine. I mm. said, yes, please. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking at the time, if the RAF are going to come up and help me, I, I, I can stop worrying. You know, I just felt <laughs> very secure. And so anyway, he arrived and he, he, he came alongside me. He said, hey, I'm, I'm flying alongside you now. If you look out your left window, you'll see me. So I, look, I said, I can't see you. He said, can you not see me? I said, no, I can't see you. He said, I'm, I'm flying alongside you. I said, I can't see you. He said, wow. OK. So... He said, I'm going to go behind you now. He said, we're going to try and get you down. Yeah. I said, OK. He said, they, so they told me, he said, I'm, I'm flying behind you now so that I can see the asimuths that you can see. I said, OK. So then he got me going and started bringing me down, you know. What was going through your mind when you realised that you couldn't see the instruments? Did you, did you sort of start to think about what that might be caused by? No, I didn't. I, I thought, I was still thinking it was a sudden... Right blinding me right that hadn't quite gone away yet you know so I, I I really didn't think there was a problem with my eyesight that was the last thing in my mind because <laughs> I really did think it was the sun shining I was just concentrating on doing what I was supposed to be doing you know mm. and I was concentrating especially when I was up in the air I was concentrating on following the instructions from the, mm. the controllers and by the sounds of it, you didn't have any other symptoms that were noticeable at that time. I didn't. They said to me afterwards, did you feel like a pain in your head or this? I said, no, I felt nothing. I really didn't feel anything. Mm. Um, there was no pains at any point. And that's why I thought it was just the sun in my eyes that was blinded me. How long were you flying around for before the instructor came alongside you, do you think? Not long. It, I don't know how long, really, to be sure, you know, to be and, fair. And what were, you, what were you doing during that period to maintain I was altitude? Just, and just keeping it, yeah, I was just keeping, I was, I was just trying to look at the instruments, which I couldn't see the instruments, so and I just was flying blind, you know. Yeah. And there was no horizon, no horizon there or anything else. So I was kind of, it was a mixture between instruments and, and, I don't know, just a kind of inbuilt ability to keep the plane flying, you know. And did you have no perception of the horizon at all visually, do you think? No, 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 I didn't. I must have known which way was up, but that might have been instinct. I don't know. The thing about that, though, is, I mean, I fly on instruments a bit. Yeah. And your vestibular system can completely con you into yes, thinking which way is up. That's right. 
So to think that you were flying on those instincts yes. and managed to stay upright for so yeah. long is impressive. I know. I know. I think, I think instinct's a great thing. You, know? <laughs> you <laughs> were literally <laughs> flying by the seat of your pants. I was indeed, yeah. you know. But I think, and people ask me, you know, was I, was I, what was I thinking? What was I, did I panic at all? Did I, but I was so busy concentrating on flying, there was nothing else to think about. That's what I thought, you know. Just thinking about those talk-down instructions that you were given by Paul, the, yeah. the, the instructor that came up beside you. Tell me about that. What, what was he saying? He went round behind me and he said, I'm going to talk you down. And he prepped me, he said, you know, I'm going to tell you to uh, your, your descent, do your, your pre-landing drills. So I did that. And then he said, and I'll tell you when we're going to start descending. So then he said, get ready, get ready. And then he said, right, we'll start, descend now, start your descent now. So I pulled the plug and, and we just tipped over gently. That's it, he said, perfect, perfect. He said, keep that attitude. And then he just talked me through it. He said, keep, we're going down, still going down, still going down. And then all of a sudden I saw the numbers, you know, the, end, oh, the yeah. runway numbers you yeah. get at the end of that. And I saw that and I thought, oh, I know where I am now. And I told him <laughs> that, I said, I can see where I am now. He said, fine. So that allowed me to level out and, and, yeah. and flare and drop onto the runway. So that was very successful. What was the landing like? Very good, actually. <laughs> I, think, I, I, I think I bumped once. I, I went up again once and back down, but not, nothing great, you know, just yeah. a, a bump. So that was, uh, it was a very good landing, actually. I was very impressed with it. And we just rolled along and I put the brakes on and came to halt in front of this wire fence, this big wire fence. Jim O'Neill there, recounting his safe landing after suffering a stroke mid-air. In fact, Jim says that he pressed so hard on the brakes after touching down at Linton-on-Ouse, an RAF base in North Yorkshire, that they'd welded themselves locked on. He was certain he was coming down and staying down after what must have been a frightening experience. I'm always touched, you know, when I hear about the actions of air traffic controllers that save pilots from disaster. It's easy to moan, isn't it, about not getting the clearances you want or the service you request from a controller. But when it does come down to it, they really do have your back. My thanks to Jim for sharing his story. You're listening to the Flying Reporter podcast. Please do follow the podcast channel and spread the word amongst your flying buddies and general aviation friends. On each episode of this podcast, we'll be getting tips, answering questions and busting myths about general aviation flying in our Ask the Instructor feature. Today, I'm back at Anglian Flight Centres in Earls Cone with head of training there, Nigel Wilson. He thinks that as well as knowing our approach speeds, flap limit speeds and maximum continuous power settings, we should also memorise our minimum safe power setting for level flight. He thinks doing so could one day save your life. So Nigel, why would we need to know what our minimum safe power setting is for level flight? In fact, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be different for each aeroplane, that's right. for sure. And also it's going to be different on any given day because of different aircraft weights with passengers and also environmental considerations as well. So why is it important? Well, um, interestingly, as pilots, we have all been trained to deal with a full engine failure. Mm. And actually, 
the success rate of, of uh, landing off airfield with a full engine failure is actually quite good because yeah. we all get trained for it. What we don't get trained for um, necessarily as part of the standard PPL syllabus is what happens if we have a partial engine failure. In other words, if we have partial power. So that leads to lots of decisions that you have to make quite quickly to determine what the best course of action is going to be. And unless you've been taught about what to do in that situation, it's very easy to become distracted. And historically, or should I say statistically, partial engine failures end up in a much worse situation and are unable to deal with that situation and actually end up with more fatalities because of partial power. Why, why do you think failure. that is? Training. Uh, they're not trained to deal with that particular problem mm. uh, because it is. You do have to go through a, a few sort of thought processes about you know have I got enough power to maintain height? Well, that's the key thing that we're talking about right now. So rather than wait until it happens for real and you end up with a power setting mm. and then you have to decide or determine by trial and error whether you can maintain height mm. or not, it's better to actually go out and see what power setting you need ah. in order to maintain an altitude. So once you get your power setting, the next thing then is people can ask is, well, what speed do I use? Mm. Because obviously you won't be at cruise speed mm -hmm. at reduced power setting. So the, the easy answer, it's not strictly correct, but the easy answer is best glide speed. Right. So if you fly at the best glide speed with a power setting, then the power setting you end up with that enables you to fly level at best glide speed is your minimum power that you need. And then if you do have partial power for real, you've got a real ready reckoner there to say, if it's below that power setting, I know I'm descending, I need to do something about this, or I'm at or above that power setting. So actually, I'm not going to lose height necessarily, so I can maybe make a different plan and try to get to right. an airfield. Right. And then there's another process about what happens when you get there. So I need to go and do this in my arrow now. Um, you fly lots of types. I'm sure you probably know what my manifold pressure needs to be in my arrow. But is it going to be somewhere around 18, 17, 18 inches, do you think? Well, yeah, it, usually it, it, it's so dependent because you can put quite a lot of people in your yes, aeroplane. So, so, you know, so uh, it really is dependent. So, you know, the, what you really want to aim for is the worst case scenario. Right. So, so it's maybe a fill it up to, you know, fairly heavy and then try it then. Yeah. yeah. Try, try it heavy mm. then because... It's only that ballpark figure when you first have engine failure, you, you've got an immediate decision, I'm probably looking for a field or I think I can manage to get to an airfield. Mm. They're, they're, that's the, the, the key initial decision making. Instead of trying to faff around working out, can I maintain height, can't I maintain height, what am I going to do? Yeah, you're just wasting time in that situation, aren't yeah. you? Uh, what a great idea. And um, in terms of partial engine failure, I mean, it's part of the reason, you mentioned training as being one of the reasons why the partial engine failures are more deadly than others. Yeah. Um, but it's part of the reason also that people think they've got power and so they're, they're not making a decision. Yeah. And that they're not, uh, they're kind of thinking, well, I can probably limp back on this and so on. Is that, is that yeah. what goes on? And, and they limp back and they end up at, a completely unsuitable altitude of maybe 400 feet, and now they've got to try and turn into the runway and land. So yeah. that's that's the danger. But if you know, you know, part of the training is is to go through all of the the, the thought processes and the and the good captaincy processes to say, actually, I know I'm not going to make the airfield. So let's, for example, use the partial power I've got to get to a nice field, mm. get myself in a nice position. Mm. 
and strangely give yourself an engine failure, close the throttle to go into it because you don't want to rely on that partial power around any circuit because you've got partial power, it might fail further. Yeah, so you advocate, and I know we've done this in the air, you advocate getting to a, a place where you can make a force landing yep. and lose the power completely. Close the throttle, yeah. yeah. And uh, because then you're not reliant upon that particular uh, engine, even though it's got partial power. Mm. You know, if it fails and you're doing a standard circuit on that partial power, then the chances are you might not be able to make the field you selected. So do you, do you can I just check, I, I, I'm, just to clarify, yeah. we're talking here about shutting the engine down or are we talking about just closing the idle? throttle closing just the closing throttle. the throttle yeah. at this yeah. stage yeah. yeah when you're absolutely sure you can make the field then you go through usually the shutdown checks because mm. you're not quite sure what the field surfaces you're going to land on mm. but yeah you know if if you make a mistake and you you close the throttle too soon and you can't quite make the field well the you chances are you can yeah. open it again and have some partial power Absolutely. again so uh, yeah. so but the idea is not to overly rely upon that partial power for the landing because it might fail further and just to clarify again you know you're on short final you're going to make the field yeah. you're at power idle you would shut down the engine at that point yeah, I would because mm. a partial power, there's there's no guarantee you're, you're not about to climb around. on it. No, so no. so you're committed at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's safer to have an engine that's contained and shut down and fuel off, exactly, and, and, and have a force landing than not. And I know you've been through this yourself. I have. And is that where is that uh, is that where this learning has come from? Is that is that how you come to um, this? It it wasn't actually. Funnily enough, I had uh, partial power on takeoff actually at 300 feet on takeoff where I put my learning into practice uh, because it was part of an advanced course I was given somebody else and we actually teach it teach this method so uh, it actually came from discussions in the aviation and the training industry where there there was we, there were people that could see this trend that partial power was the killer not full engine failures so that's the reason why you then just need, or I just took a step back and thought, okay, so what's the best course of action? What, what can we teach people about partial power? What, what do we need to show them what these thought processes are and these you know, evaluative um, values that we need to look at? You know, the classic one that comes out is, well, what speed do I use? That was, that's one that everybody asks. Mm. If I've got partial power, what airspeed do mm. I use? Well, you know, if, if you pick best glider, you're not going to be far wrong. Mm. Uh, and then go from there and then have that staple figure in your head that if it's less power than this, if I've got partial power and it's less power than this magic figure that I know I can maintain height at, then I'm not going to probably not going to be able to get back to a field. So let's use the height I've got to get in a really nice position for the force landing that I'm about to invoke on myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nigel, fascinating stuff, really good food for thought. And why don't you now, next time you go flying, be it by yourself or with your instructor, go and find out what the best safe power setting that, uh, that, that's relevant to your aeroplane to maintain your glide speed and then put that somewhere safe in your memory so that should, you, should you need it, you know exactly where you stand. Nigel, thank you. Okay. Hopefully you found that information useful. Nigel will be back in our next episode and we'll discuss forward slips and side slips, how do they differ, and perhaps more importantly, how to safely make use of them. Thank you so much for joining me on the Flying Reporter podcast. It's been sponsored by AeroPS, the payment app for pilots, aerodromes and operators. If you're an aerodrome owner or manager, then take a look at how AeroPS can save you time and money. That's it, folks. Fly safely, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>